1: Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. I truly hope by the end of this podcast, many of you listening will feel empowered to choose yourself first. Here's the launching point. The more you're able to love yourself and take care of your own needs, the more love you will have available for others. If you're continually emptying your cup trying to help others, you will always be left thirsty. Have you ever set boundaries, I mean your own personal boundaries, or do you constantly tell yourself that some things are simply out of your control? Often, you'll feel let down, walked over, silenced, taken advantage of, and the list goes on. Our emotional and physical systems are tracking our boundaries all the time. The trouble, the reason, as you will learn in Nancy Levin's book, is that in many cases, our conscious mind is totally unaware we have a boundary, much less that it's been crossed. Nancy Levin is a master life coach, radio host, and bestselling author of five books, including her latest, Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free, The Ultimate Guide to Telling the Truth, Creating Connection, and Finding Freedom. She has coached thousands of people to live their lives on their own terms by making themselves a priority and setting boundaries that stick. And trust me, by the end of the first chapter of her book, you can actually see how Nancy had to learn firsthand how to create these boundaries. She produced more than a thousand events for Hay House Publishing, doing everything for others while letting her own life come crashing down. She was quick to notice the pattern, shift her pattern, shift her behavior, and set her sights on helping others. Nancy is actually joining us from Boulder, Colorado. I am so excited to have her on the show. Hi, Nancy. Hello there. I'm thrilled to be here. I had no idea what to expect when kind of talking about this topic. And then right off the bat, you, you start to define boundaries and you start to define what it is that we're talking about. And then all of a sudden you realize this applies to absolutely everyone in all facets of their life. It absolutely does. <laughs> and we are, you know, we're
0: mostly taught to not really consider our own wants and needs. And yet this conversation about boundaries is really the invitation to begin not only considering our own needs, but
1: considering them first. So I think what I enjoyed most, and and especially going through the book, is is how you defined a boundary in itself. And I think let's start Mm -hmm. with that and, and we'll start with the actual process of what we're talking about and we'll move from there. Great. So
0: I defined boundary
1: as a limit, that we set around what we will or will
0: not do, will or will not tolerate, will or will not accept. So, really, essentially, we're looking at what's okay for me and what's not okay for me. What can I live with? What won't I live without? This is the beginning place around defining what a boundary is.
1: All right. Could you kind of give us a percentage, uh, an estimate of how many people have their boundaries crossed over, mixed over, and don't, don't even know what they're doing uh, on any given day?
0: Yeah, probably 100%. <laughs> 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 and, you know, you what I want to say here, and this is a really important point in the book, and it's a foundation of this concept, is that it's really the biggest myth I can bust around boundaries is that the language we most often use is someone crossed my boundaries. And I hear from clients time and time again, I tried to set a boundary, but he or she keeps crossing it. And the fundamental truth is that if our boundaries are being crossed, we are the ones crossing them. So our boundaries are ours to uphold. It's not anyone else's job to honor respect or uphold our boundary it's up to us every boundary i set is ultimately between me and
1: me even if i set it with another person okay but nancy we can go through who and what we might encounter in a day and it can start easily with your spouse or your partner to the Mm -hmm. kids to your boss to your coworkers, to the in-laws i mean it can extend to every person that you're having contact with in any given day
0: Sure. Yes. If we are not staying in a place where we're
1: living in alignment with our truth, we are crossing our boundaries many times a day. But what is our truth? Do we even know? I mean, as I I mentioned to you in the intro, we sometimes don't even realize our boundaries are being crossed because I don't think we're in tune enough with ourselves to realize what boundaries we've even
0: set. Right. And so that's the beginning point of this process. Coming into contact with what do I want? What do I need? What is, what am I willing to do or not do? How am I saying yes when I want to say no? We have to actually start contacting ourselves, especially when we have been abandoning ourselves for the sake of everyone else. So this is, you know, if you are someone listening who resonates with being a people pleaser, a peacekeeper, conflict
1: avoider, not rock the boater, I'm talking to you, (laughs) be Go ahead. Well, you were one of those people, Nancy. I certainly you were was. Definitely a people pleaser, and you were 100%. always. Percent. Your career was I, pretty much running around doing everything for everyone else. Absolutely, it's and and I'll tell you that who I used to
0: be made me exceptional at my job. Always seeking external validation, doing everything to earn value and worth, doing everything for approval chasing all the gold stars but the bottom line is that when we're chasing gold stars no gold stars will ever be enough there's no amount that will ever be enough to fill the void that is inside of us because everything we're seeking externally needs to be resolved internally first so that's why this invitation here as part of this boundary work is to start with what do i want what do i need what let me check in around preferences. Let me check around desires. This was a foreign concept to me. I lived decades of my life having no idea what I wanted, decades of my life sublimating all of my wants and needs for someone else's, specifically my husband's. You know, I was in an 18 year marriage that really required me to operate in such a way where I not only didn't put myself first,
1: I actually didn't even bring myself into the equation. You know, you talk openly about it in the book, Mm -hmm. you know, but that that circumstances created a little bit of a domino effect into why your marriage failed, where you were seeking outside validation because you were so busy doing it with everybody else. Why did you did you Why did you want to be so open and candid in writing that, in in going outside the marriage, in realizing where you were lacking, fulfilling your own needs as the launching point for the book?
0: So what I will say is this is my fifth book, and I have spoken openly about it in all of my books. I speak openly about it when I speak on stage, when I teach, because for me, it it was the choice point in my life. I was on my way home from this business trip to discover that my now ex-husband had read my journals. I had over 70 volumes. It was ultimately revealed that he discovered I'd had an affair eight years prior. And what I know now is that I set a bomb to detonate eight years later because I was unwilling to tell the truth to myself and unwilling to tell the truth to him. So had I been a woman at that time, who could have said, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. I would have done that, but I wasn't that person. I was a person trying to find a way out without, without rocking the boat. And so what happens when we don't tell the truth to ourselves, we create chaos. And when we don't tell the truth, the truth will come out and it will come out sideways. Self-destruction, self-sabotage, illness, illness. And so in my case, you know, I always look at this like, you know, I waited for the crisis. You don't have to. I really encourage people to rock their own foundation before it rocks them. But in my case, because I was so invested in this image I was presenting to the world of perfection, and I was very invested in managing the perception of others, only wanting that to give them a particular lens to see me through, I really, before this particular moment in time where the journals were read, I did not want... I didn't want to face my own truth. I didn't want to deal with the shame. I didn't want anyone else to know what I had done. And I really had to come to terms with the fact that I could do one of two things. I could go back to sleep and go on with life as it was, or I could get about the business of making a major change. And it still took me two years
1: from that day to leave my marriage. I think for a lot of people, though, it's uh, the fear. I mean, fear seems to dictate so much. We stay in, mm-hmm. in certain situations based on fear, based on the mm-hmm. unknown. And mm-hmm. so in when you eventually got to that two-year mark where you kind of almost, it was like this freeing, jumping off the cliff, kind of figuring out where am I going to restart in learning was it learning to love yourself again learning to understand what you were looking for rather than pleasing other people what was going to please you or, or fulfill you
0: i think it was all of that i th- really i think it was just
1: beginning to realize that
0: i mattered and that my wants and needs deserve to be heard and that I'm worthy regardless of what I do achieve or produce. And so much of my life was about living in reaction to someone else, living in reaction specifically in my marriage to my husband's rage, to his abuse, finding a way in which I could exist even though I was consistently... Um, really living in a place of being shut down and being silenced. So the powerhouse I was at work and on stage was diametrically opposed to the woman I was at home. And so the journey of being able to leave my marriage finally really essentially not go back and that which was essentially the first boundary I ever set was not going back The fifth time I was kicked out of my own house that I bought and paid for, my self-worth was bumped up enough that I was able to make the choice not to go back. And that was the boundary that really set me on the path of self-inquiry to the point where I could begin to put the pieces together of my life. I mean, really, at that point, I was, I look at it like I was, you know, the, uh, the dots connecting and the constellations being created, understanding how things from my childhood were mapping onto my marriage, you know, all the patterns coming to the surface. And from that point, I was able to then uh, start making
1: changes for myself. You know, I've done a a number of podcasts. And as you mentioned that, no matter how hard we try to run away from our past or events or childhood or traumas, they they inevitably find us in some aspect of our life. You know, it, it it seems like with anyone who's really a thought leader and looking at how we are improving and, and living our lives, it always come it, it always seems to come back to that. We're always in a reaction of what we experienced in our youth.
0: Well, I think, you know, I think that and and my the work that I do, specifically the, you know, the shadow work is fundamentally based on these significant events that occur in childhood that then imprint upon us our limiting shadow beliefs. So for me, it was my brother dying when I was two years old. And that remains the most significant event of my life that has informed my life in such a way. And beliefs that were formed at that time, patterns that were formed, reacting to that with my parents, reacting to that essentially to the point of being able to overlay the circumstances around my brother's death. He was born uh, disabled, very incapacitated, really unable to do anything at all by himself. And so the imprint on me as a small child, not consciously, of course, but the imprint was, you know, if I am if I am broken like he is, you know, I will die. And then thus begins the quest for perfectionism. Uh, You know, better I have no needs or wants. His needs are more important than mine. Better I be self-sufficient and independent. You know, and ultimately, when he was born, you know, it was the 1960s when they didn't have all the tests they have now. So, He wasn't they didn't know anything was wrong with him until he wasn't rolling over and sitting up and doing the things babies should do. So my mother and I have had an adult conversation where she said, I didn't want to attach to you until I knew nothing was wrong with you. I was waiting to see what was wrong with you. And so the imprint on of, you know, there must be something wrong with me. And so all of these beliefs start to be in the soup of my life. And trying to really heal a grief in my parents that couldn't be healed, trying to be more than one child for them. so I'm not enough, I must be more. And really, these are these are the limiting beliefs that then propel, you know, propel one <laughs> through life. We all have some version of these. and they will they will root back to some significant event where we drew a conclusion about ourselves because we didn't know how to process or digest what was happening in a healthy way. We were too young. So, you know, then I meet the man I marry, who literally, it was as if on day one when we met, it was as if he said to me, hi, I'm broken. And I said, well, great. I'm superwoman. I can fix you. I'm a people pleaser. How can (laughs) I help you? Exactly. How can I help you? And really, you know, as our relationship progressed and as our marriage, you know, we got it more enmeshed, and I sublimated all my wants, needs, and desires in fulfillment of all of his, and I really lost myself in my marriage.
1: I just want to go back because you mentioned something uh, as we were just talking uh, about shadow work. So, do you mm-hmm. mind just g- g- explain it a little bit more so people have an understanding when you when you talk about that?
0: Sure. So what I'm talking about really is are the aspects of ourselves that we've disowned. So these these the shadow beliefs are these limiting beliefs that have held us in place and are holding us back which really sort of exist in the unconscious in the sh- in the shadows of our of our psyche. And then when we're looking at the at our shadow self or our sh- or shadow qualities we're looking at the parts of ourselves that we've disowned as we've created this persona of who we've become. So we've all done this in terms of I'm not that, you know, and what we don't want to be. And we do this with the quote unquote positive qualities and the negative qualities. So qualities are actually charge neutral. We attribute the positive negative. So, you know, whether it's mean or whether it's greedy, or whether it's selfish, or whether it's generous, compassionate, creative. We're attaching certain positive you know, positive and negatives. And the truth of the matter is that anything we see in anybody else exists within us. So when we run around pointing the finger at other people, it's really about one finger's pointing outward and three fingers are pointing back at us. And yet we spend most of our life trying to disown these particular qualities that we don't want to be. And we're also projecting out the light qualities onto other people who we are inspired by and want to emulate. So really, the goal of the soul is to be whole. And it's this lifetime, I believe, is about retrieving
1: all these lost pieces of ourselves. Do you think it's possible for us to feel whole by the time our life is is complete that we have over our lifetime, gathered enough, so that our soul, that higher self feels that, that it's done its job? You know, it's interesting. So my teacher and mentor, the late Debbie Ford,
0: um, was literally, the last time I saw her, she was on her deathbed. She died less than a week after I saw her last. And she was still like, let's play this game of, of reclaiming lost qualities. So she was still looking for ways in which she had not owned parts of herself. So I... I think it's a lifelong process. I don't know what happens in the moment we take our last breath.
1: It's a lifelong process, and yet it starts with the first step. So Always. Let's, so let's take that first step in, in those that are listening and saying, okay, where, where do I even begin to understand where my boundaries are, where or who it's with, and, mm-hmm. and start to have those conversations? Because I know even one of the things you talk about is even starting to have the difficult conversations and how you mm-hmm. even go about doing that. Yes. Yeah. And I will say that,
0: you know, the number one reason people don't set boundaries is they don't know what to say. So what I what I will just sort of work with here is, you know, what a boundary is and what a boundary isn't. So, as I said before, I define boundaries as the limits we set around what we will or will not do, accept and tolerate what's okay and not okay for us. A boundary is not wanting, wishing, hoping someone else will
1: change. So, most, a boundary most people spend their lives waiting or trying to get the other person to change. That's that, right. That's what their so, mission is. Well, if
0: I do this, they'll change. Right. So here's here's the deal. We can't change anybody, and we have no control over what someone else does or doesn't do. We waste a lot of time and energy trying to do this. And it's really an illusion that we have any control over anyone else. This is also a part of the boundary conversation in terms of the delineation between where I end and you begin. Because most of us think it's our responsibility to cross that line and take responsibility for another human being. So we cannot take responsibility for someone else's experience. We can't. Control what someone else does. We do this by the way that we are trying to manage, Uh, we think we can make someone else mad or make someone else happy. We have no control over this. So the important thing to remember here is that someone else's response to my truth is not my responsibility to manage. Now, as I say that, I'm not saying. We disregard someone else. We don't, you know, that we don't respect someone else. I'm simply saying it's a both and. So it's not an either or. It's I consider myself and
1: I consider you, but I'm going to consider myself first. Most people would say that's just really selfish. Yeah. Or or the comeback from that other person uh might be, well, you're being really selfish. Yeah. And so I, so just as I was saying about the shadow
0: qualities I'm on a bandwagon right now to reclaim selfishness. Selfish has gotten a really bad rap. We go to the other direction and become selfless. And all that does is allow us to disappear from our lives. So I am on a bandwagon to reclaim selfish. I believe selfish self-love and self-care are three
1: sisters whose job it is to support us in honoring ourselves. How does somebody start then, though? If let's just take a a mom whose entire day is about taking care of the kids and making sure everything else is done and then coming home, uh, you know, and and having somebody kind of say, why isn't this done or why hasn't this been done? And then having to take a phone call from someone like where do they even start in? I want to think baby steps of reclaiming some of that or or not trying to cross the line.
0: Right. It's always about baby steps. So it's about, you know, it's about even am I willing to get up 30 minutes before my family gets up so that I can create a morning practice for myself where I have time and space to give myself the nurturing that I need? Am I willing to take a pocket of time in the day for myself? Am I willing to let the laundry go for a half an hour so that I can do something that I need to do for me? So everything's a choice. And we have to really pay attention to our language about I have to, I have to, I have to. I'm choosing to. Mm. I'm choosing this over this.
1: Okay. Can I have some fun with some things that you wrote in the book so people can kind of get a sense a little bit? Sure. Um all right, so some of the examples because we what what I found really interesting is, and I'm just going to list these off. But there's a number of different boundaries, right? Physical boundaries, emotional, energetic mm-hmm. boundaries, mental mm-hmm. boundaries, uh, material boundaries. So mm-hmm. you list these all off um, in in the book, but then like there's examples like, okay, your mother calls five times a day uh, and she's telling you everything that you did wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Or your neighbors playing their music too loud and you mm-hmm. can't get to sleep. You know, these are all like little things. You know, your boss expects you to work overtime. You know how do you? These are all examples within any given day, right? Of how these are are occurring to you, right? So the
0: mother calling five times a day, we have a choice not to pick up the phone. We we have a choice to. So again, boundaries can be verbalized or not, but regardless, it's up to me to hold the boundary. Boundaries can be expressed in such a way where. Again, most people relate to boundaries as someone else has to change their behavior. You're doing something wrong. Boundaries are people often verbalize boundaries in such a way of you always or you never, I need you to. I'm inviting the conversation to be something around mom. I notice that whenever we talk, you are you're criticizing me and I'm no longer comfortable having these conversations. People can spend a lifetime trying to figure out
1: how to say that. I have a mother. I've done this, so if I can do it, so can you. Uh, you okay, are there certain boundaries are th- that you that you try to dis? not discover, but like work with first? Is it emotional? Is it physical material? Like where do you, is there a list of importance for you as to where someone would start? It's,
0: it's not so much in terms of that. It's really more working with what I call a beginner boundary. Okay. So a beginner boundary is where the stakes are very low. And a beginner boundary can can even be just about accessing preference and desire first. So It could even be something like, you know, I say to you, where do you want to go for dinner? And you say, I don't care, wherever you want to go. Because that's usually the response, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So, right. So to actually, instead of saying that, to really just take a moment, huh, what do I want for dinner? I want sushi tonight. To actually name that. To begin To begin there, so before we can even get into the boundary setting, we have to first get into what do I even want, what's okay for me, what's not okay for me, because what can often happen is, and I see this with clients all the time, I've seen clients with deathly fish allergies go for sushi because that's what someone else wanted, instead of saying no, or instead of saying, hey, I have an allergy, or saying, I want Italian, But we have this idea that we have to acquiesce, we have to go along, we have to do what someone else wants to do in order to be liked, in order to be loved, in order to be accepted. So to pull back on that and to start actually checking in, what do I actually want, and then begin expressing it. Because here's what happens when we don't express what we want, resentment rises, and resentment is the first telltale sign that a boundary needs to be put into place so little tiny things where the stakes can be low it can be being in a restaurant and the and the music's really loud and you can't have a conversation to sim- to ask the waiter hey can you see about turning the music down
1: sending food back oh my back god in man, a so most people would not even send their food back even if it's cold i don't i i don't return food cuz i'm just like i don't want to piss off the like right, i just i don't right. i don't, do, I don't so, do it i'm like i'd rather eat the cold food I don't. Right. I don't want them so, to think I'm. I'm being bitchy. I don't want them to think I'm complaining. So I don't. I just don't say anything.
0: Right. So you suck it up. You <laughs> muscle
1: through, and you live with your disappointment. Well, uh, you, yeah. Sometimes my mother doesn't. My mother will always return the food. <laughs> she has no trouble doing that. Okay. Can I ask you something? So, say you started with the beginner, the beginner boundary, and mm-hmm. uh, your spouse says to you, "Where do you want to go for dinner?" He's a, a customer. She is accustomed to hearing you say it doesn't matter where we're. Mm-hmm and right. then all of a sudden you actually speak up and mm-hmm. say something mm-hmm. i'm assuming that the other person in this relationship is kind of going to go oh they- you know
0: you'd be like- you'd be surprised you'd be surprised because people actually want to meet us in our truth people actually want to know us especially someone we're married to because if we can't be in our truth in our marriage we have no right even being in that marriage it's not a it's not an intimate relationship it's an arrangement. It's an agreement. And by being willing to share pieces of ourselves, it's like we're giving someone pieces of the puzzle. We're giving someone our owner's manual. So we've, we often concoct this whole persona, and then it's a bait and switch. And that's what happens in marriages all the time. It's what happens in friendships. It's what happens in a lot of relationships.
1: Have you dealt with clients who've set boundaries and who have lost friendships, lost relationships sure. in setting sure. in setting these like you need to be prepared as you're yeah. doing this that the, some of the people might might disappear,
0: yeah. Some people might disappear because what we're doing is changing the rules of engagement. And what it's also doing is potentially having them look in the mirror at ways in which, they've not changed or they're not looking at something truthfully and it may be confronting for them. I have lost friends. I've lost relationships because I I choose
1: me. I I'm I choose me over other people. You you came up with a, a beginner boundary. Is there mm-hmm. an intermediate boundary or the, the yeah, next so level? Yeah, so I call what I call sort of the boundary
0: pyramid. Okay. And so we're really looking at wanting to divide boundaries into, you know, the cherry on top, the nice to have, and the bottom line, essentially. So, you know, a bottom line boundary is, is going to be of the highest stake, perhaps. But it's also ultimately coming in contact what's, with what's non-negotiable for me. So the cherry on top are like the nice to have, you know, the are, you know, excuse me, the cherry on top are like, you know, the bonus, the nice to have are, you know, this would be great, not life or death, not bottom line. And then the bottom line are, you know, where the stakes are higher, perhaps, but really it's about this is not
1: negotiable for me. I, I have a feeling in your pyramid that the foundation is the hardest one to change. And yes. set right. The cherry <laughs> yeah. on top sounds really it sounds great, right. but it, unless you've done the work at the bottom, you're not going right. anywhere,
0: right? And that's and so that's why you know we have to sort of do this in a progression, building up the courage, building up the confidence. The other thing that I'll say is we also have this idea that that all of this is um, all of this is about like conflict and confrontation, and it doesn't need to be. But when we are conflict avoidant, when we're doing anything we can not to rock the boat, what's really happening is we have this idea that the goal of relationship is harmony at all cost. But harmony at all cost comes at a very high cost and it comes at a high cost to us. And what happens in these kinds of relationships is we are expending so much energy in this loop in our head around, what do I need to do or say to make everything be okay? You know, we're looking, what's the magic thing that I can do or say to make everything be okay? And when we're doing that, we are anywhere but the present moment. We are anywhere but in our authentic experience. We're in worry. We're in obsession. You know, we're either in the future. We're in the past. And so and we're and it's exhausting. Keeping the peace is exhausting.
1: You said living something, because we, we, you, you end up if you if you're talking about this, there's a it takes its physical toll. Absolutely, you know, and it comes out in different areas, it comes out in stress, it comes out in sleepless nights, it comes out in like it does it, it has a physical effect on us.
0: It absolutely has a physical effect on us. And so when we're not when we're not in alignment with what with with what we need, with what's okay, not okay with tolerating things that are actually untolerated, intolerable, accepting things that are unacceptable when we're when we're living in this way we're actually just deteriorating ourselves
1: oh there there's there's so much here and i'm i'm looking at this and it makes sense to me and still i'm battling because i'm totally worried about the reaction of, of other people right i'm, I'm thinking you know you're, you're, you're talking about this and then even in in a workspace or with your boss or with your coworkers my, my first sense is to just be like, what's their reaction going to be? And I, I would assume that for most of the people that you talk to, that would be the number one concern is everybody right. else. But,
0: right, But and then here's what I'll share with you, that it comes back to me as many times that what we've concocted in our head far outweighs what happens in reality. People are actually, first of all, people are really mostly self-absorbed in general. And they're not as impacted by us as we think that they are. That makes sense. And so, yeah, to just digest that piece. And yeah, there's, you know, there's always going to be, you know, there are going to be certain people in our lives where it might feel easier to set a boundary. There might be people in our lives where it feels more difficult, but Here's the thing. We always have a choice and setting a boundary or not setting a boundary is going to either way, uh, there are going to be consequences. So we just have to get on the right page with which consequences we're willing to live with. And again, we want to move out of blame. So we don't want to be blaming someone else because that puts us in the place of being a victim. We want to be taking responsibility for the choices we're making, which puts us in empowerment. So if we make a choice not not to set a particular boundary and we're, you know, some version of, you know, sucking it up, biting our tongue, going through the motions,
1: we have to be clear that we made the choice. Right. So In thinking about the listeners that are that are that are tuning in right now Mm -hmm. and thinking of all the different generations, right, they're all coming at this from a very different, you know, I've got the millennials who are, you know, taking a different stance on their life and and kind of and I think they've learned to set boundaries a lot better than the baby boomers, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and the Gen X. And so I'm thinking here that there could be somebody listening who has gone 40, 50 years of never setting boundaries, giving up on anything that was what was going Mm -hmm. to make them happy, giving up on a job or something for somebody else, Mm -hmm. for a spouse, for kids, for the logistics of family life. Is there a point where you almost become bitter and angry at yourself that you've let this go as long as you have and and you? you have like this self-imposed anger then when you realize all the boundaries that you've let cross over the last 40, 50 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, I didn't set, I I went 45 years of my life without setting a boundary. It's only been, you know, in the last decade that I have, that I have, you know, made this shift. And so a lot of it for me was, about looking at how angry I was at myself, looking how I let other people control me, looking at how I allowed myself to be manipulated, looking at how I was misdirected in terms of the way in which I was trying to uh, prove my value and my worth, thinking that someone else, think really having it backwards, thinking that someone or something outside
1: of me would have me feel good about me. I would think that there's a sense And I'm thinking that you almost grieve the life that you had dreamed of having. Like there's a sense of a real loss, like of grief of what you didn't have because you. It can go. I mean, it can go both ways. I mean, I look at it for me. I more relate to it as like an, an identity suicide. Right. But you but Nancy, you had a successful career. You were doing all of these things like I'm thinking of people who let everyone else's needs and wants. Yes. Take take precedent over their own. And so all of a sudden their life, you know, like, can they reclaim it? Can they say, uh, even though, uh, you know, I've let this much time go by, I can still reclaim it to enjoy the next 20 years or. Yes, of course they can reclaim it. But I guess what I'm
0: saying is, is, you know, to your point earlier, I don't know that people as much relate to, uh, you know, having letting go of a life that they had dreamed of because I think that that has gotten so lost and that is really dissolved along the way and most people would say oh this life I'm living is better than what I would have dreamed of as a way to as a way to justify or rationalize the choices that they've made and I think you know to me it's never too late I look at Louise Hay who started Hay House at 60 years old and any time that I have any ideas about aging or age or what we can or can't do because of age, I think of that. So I don't think, I, I do think that we can all at any stage of our life begin to make these changes. It is about being willing, being willing to step in and stand up for ourselves.
1: Would you say that this is, Correlates more with women, or are there men that that find themselves in in certain situations? Like through most of this conversation, I think just in my head, I'm thinking women. I'm I thinking the absolutely- woman and the household and the mother right. and and running everything. But then I'm, I want I want to kind of like switch it and be like, okay, let's look at this from the the man's perspective. Do you get similar issues, or are there issues, or what they're coming at in it coming at it from a different angle, like expectations, work different things.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I would say this is, this is prime. this is primarily something that happens with women, but I certainly have worked with men around these very same things. And I've also worked with men who will say to me, I want, you know, I want, the woman in my life to actually tell me the truth. I want her to show up as her. I don't want her to keep telling me she likes to mountain bike when she doesn't. I, or, you know, something like that. I want her to actually tell me what she wants because right now we're just doing everything I want. And there are a lot of men in healthy, you know, who want to be in healthy relationships where they don't want to be,
1: you know, they don't want to be running the show that way. They hadn't asked for they hadn't asked for their partner to be as, you know, indecisive, not indecisive, but they never asked for that. Or
0: acquiescing. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think about it that way, that, you know, just sort of the go along to get along or acquiescing or I'll do this because it's something you want. Or, you know, being a chameleon, you know, that was really it's like, I'll be whoever you want me to be. And that's how most women enter a relationship. I mean, I work with a lot of women who are dating and as soon as I say, you know, what happens if you go on your next first date as you? There, There's like terror. Well, what if he doesn't like me? And then I'm like, do you hear yourself? <laughs> you know, this is what now, what are you going to do? You're going to create a persona. You're going to put on a mask and a cape and an armor to become someone that you think he'll like, and then you're going to have to uphold this. And this is where you know I really bring into them, what if you go on this date and instead of trying to make yourself appealing to him, consider, is he appealing to you? What if you go into this date and you are going on this date to pick and choose him as opposed to being picked or
1: chosen by him? It's a really different flip. That's a big flip. Yep, that's a really big flip. But it's yep. a healthy flip. My healthy goodness, that's spirit. so healthy. Mm-hmm. Have you had feedback from them when they have come back from that date, going out as themselves? How different. There's it is? a lot
0: of relief because they're not trying to uphold an image. They're not trying to uphold a persona. They're not trying to be something that they're not. And they're not. And what I also find is they feel less desperate. I think you know they they feel like, okay, I can actually do this on my terms instead of thinking, I have to do this on someone else's terms.
1: Oh, I have so many notes here that I want to be able to like we're we're kind of we're 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 checking them off, we're going through them. Uh, <laughs> one of the things, and I think a lot of people have have difficulty with you, we kind of just not swallow our pride or we just kind of keep our mouth shut. but sometimes we get like this unsolicited feedback. we get yes. people telling us things, and it's like, okay. Let's just go with like basic day to day things that we're constantly that we're dealing with. Let's go. You, how do you how do you set that yeah, boundary? I mean, how do you, you say something? So okay, I,
0: I have a boundary. I have a very strong boundary around unsolicited feedback.
1: Which and I, will, I, and I think in in your line of work and with what and how open and public and how much work you have that's out in the world, do you get? I get it from my mother, or I get
0: it from a boyfriend, or I get it from a, you know, no, I don't get, I don't get it. I don't actually get very much unsolicited feedback professionally. Okay. Because I solicit feedback
1: professionally. I guess so. You're right. But,
0: you know, I don't solicit feedback from close people in my life in this regard. And so when the unsolicited feedback comes in, I will very clearly let the person know, I'm not comfortable with this conversation. I'm not available for this. I'm happy to change the subject. I'm happy to hang up and talk another time. But I'm but this isn't a
1: conversation that I'm willing to have. And then, how long does it take to recover from that conversation? It doesn't take me long to recover it doesn't because take I, you no. long. I think the person on the other end is is kind of no no. No, not
0: necessarily. I mean, my mother and I have come a very, very long way. I mean, I can remember a time she probably 10 years ago called me and said, I need I need you to say something to cheer me up. And I said, I'm no longer in the business of making anyone else happy. And that
1: was that. And she and and there was no hang up on the other line and she just. Yeah, I mean, you know. I she's learned a lot. I mean, I just did a book launch event in New
0: York City with Gabby Bernstein for for setting boundaries will set you free. My parents were there. My parents are 80 and 83. And the conversations we had after that were, you know, incredible to be able to have those conversations with my parents and to watch them at this stage in their life having light bulbs go off around boundaries. And my mother and I, you know, I will always say that the dissolution of my marriage was the great healing with my mother. And it was, and my mother and I have been able to have incredibly honest, open conversations where I am no longer doing anything ever to make her happy. I am, it is completely out of the realm of my experience now.
1: I don't know, and we've never been closer. Yeah, well, that you know, for, for you to say that, you know, it for some people, it might it might take time. It might mm-hmm. take. A, I'm thinking a little bit of shock value to someone who's never heard right. a boundary be set, mm-hmm. and you just need to be prepared for that. Yeah, like how, I mean, okay. True. So how do you prepare? How do you prepare yourself mm-hmm. if you're getting the courage to set a boundary? Mm-hmm. How do you prepare for the reaction that might not be? A positive reaction.
0: Yeah, it's just simply like I understand that this might that this might come as a shock to you, or I understand that you might feel disappointed, or I understand that you might feel angry, and I'm and then you know it's like and I'm available for the impact of of this experience. I'm available for the impact of me sharing this with you, and yet we don't have to take it on. It's not ours. It's theirs.
1: That's a huge shift for people.
0: It is. And it's possible. I'm
1: telling you, there's no way I could talk about any of this if I hadn't been through it all myself. I know. And I think, and, you know, even the relationship that you have with, with Gabby Bernstein and, and just where this is going and the thought leaders that are changing the way people are are trying to live their lives, are becoming more whole and spiritual and allowing, I think, the the authentic self, right, is trying to come back to who we were meant to be. That people are more open to these conversations. People are more open to having podcasts and discussions based Mm -hmm. on things that I don't think we were talking about, you know, years ago.
0: Yeah, because I think, again, we I think we just sort of were like, okay, this is life. Life is about being a martyr. Life is about sucking it up. Life is about doing whatever and what everyone else wants me to do. Life is about hiding. You know, I think we we just at some point we 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 cracked through that. And we want more
1: and we want to inhabit our lives more. I mean, that's really what the way that I think about it. So let's go through emotions. So resentful, angry, bitter. Mm -hmm. These are all just things that are happening internally when we're allowing when we're not setting the setting the boundaries. So are yeah. you, are you listing, you know, how would someone work through this then? So, you know, you have people and you have, you know, clients that you're working with. Is there like a workbook? Is there a worksheet? Is there journaling? Is there, how are you kind of breaking it down? Because you can't take 40 years of behavior no, and, and, that's then think was, and think that you can have just this, this, this discussion and go and, and, and set this first sentence of no, a boundary. Yes. it's a process. Yeah, okay. It's a process. So the book is laid out
0: as a workbook there are exercises in the book that people can do each step of the way builds you know like each step builds on the one before it it's proven process i have taken thousands of people through this process and it it, it's it's something that's going to happen over time it's not something that like we're going to do you know like it's not something that's going to happen overnight so it's and again it's always going to come back to You know, what do I need? What do I want? Am I willing to talk? Am I willing to access my preference? Am I willing to access my desire? Am I willing to stop all my avoidance strategies in the world? Stop eating, drinking, online shopping, working, exercising, Netflixing over my emotions, over my feelings so that I don't have to feel or deal with what's here. Am I willing to actually contact what I want and be open to receiving it instead of thinking, from the get go that I don't deserve, or I'm not worthy, or why bother wanting because I'll never get open up the havingness level to be able to receive, you know, there's, there's pieces of this that, that happen in the process of being then able to set the boundaries. And I, again, want to, you know, I, when I'm talking about this, I want to also, Name that most of us relate to boundaries as something restrictive or constrictive. And I'm actually here to say that I look at boundaries as being expansive because it allows us to really carefully choose and consciously curate what we want in our lives. And so by setting the boundaries, we are, we are making it so we are living the life of our desire.
1: As a parent you know how do we how do we instill this can can we instill this in our children
0: yes. yes i just had a wonderful conversation with a client the other day about this and her kids are little her kids are under 10 and and she was asking me how to start you know instilling this concept of boundaries in them and i said you
1: know because, even to be can i just say something just before because you don't want i i'm thinking i don't want my children to have The boundaries like you want to feel like you're so much a part of everything and every emotion right maybe that's the giving and that we haven't set our own boundaries as, as parents but I feel like fear in that my child would want to set a boundary with me then it's not the unconditional love of being able to do everything or everything with that child I'm kind of looking at this in a bit of like a backwards no, catch I understand 22, you,
0: right? I understand what you're saying. So, but really looking at it, you know, so like one of my clients said, you know, one of my kids really doesn't like when I hug her. She doesn't like to hug. And she said, so I've, you know, I, I, I want to hug her, right. but I, I recognize that she doesn't want to hug. And I said, well, what if you ask her, you know, what is it that you do want? Is there another way that would feel okay for us to show affection? Do you want to hold hands? You know, would it, you know, would, is there some other way that we can come into connection and with physical touch, even to be, and let your child figure out what he or she wants or what would feel good to her. And to even start instilling in, in the kids, this idea of what do you want? asking them what they want, as
1: opposed to telling them what they get. Oh, gosh, that's so, gosh, that's a, that's a, that's a hard one, right? You're trying to, I'm at a loss right now, because I'm, I, because I, I'm picturing my own kids right now. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm picturing, you know, still wanting the still wanting the snuggles and still, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to have that affection and then also kind of sometimes being completely and totally frustrated with them and they're asking for something. And I'm like, no, this is this is what we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't want to give them the option or the ability to be able to state what it is that they want or how they want to deal with this. It, it's, it's difficult. Like we're trying to do it for ourselves. And yet we still are holding back on our, an extension of ourselves. Mm-hmm. or to understand that they're not really, they're their own human beings. They're their own separate things from us as parents.
0: Right. I mean, I think it's, it's the differentiation and
1: it's the attachment that is coming up for you around this. And I think it would be for a lot of people. Sure. So we're asking our children what questions? Even just to start with like, what do you want or what do you like? Or what would feel good for you? Even just to start with those kind of questions if it has to do with what's for dinner
0: you know it's it's tricky you know and and you're going to have to negotiate it on your own of like are you going to let your kid you know run run the restaurant
1: or are you going to say here's this and you're going to eat it if it was up you to know? my husband he would he he has that people pleasing he's like okay well mm-hmm. you know jimmy wants this and yeah. andy wants this right. and i'm going to cook right. it and i, mean, I, I
0: know Right. So I know with my sister, my sister, you know, wouldn't play that game. My sister was like, this is what's for dinner. You eat it or you don't eat till breakfast. It's your choice. But this is what's for dinner.
1: Now, are you saying, but that's, is that okay to do? Is that sending, sure. setting a boundary I mean, for that, the parent? Sure. Is it setting a boundary or not giving that to the child? Like, this is where I'm playing the game here. That's setting yeah, the I mean, boundary I'm, for you. Right.
0: That's not the boundary for you. I'm more talking about, you know, what you were saying in terms of like, in terms of emotional okay. expression. Let me let me clarify that. Okay. I'm more talking about emotional expression for kids, because really, that's that's more the foundational piece of the boundary work here. It's the emotional. And, right. Is the emotional is the emotional piece.
1: And you think at what, what age is there a good understanding? You know, you were talking, you know, she had a, a 10 or an 8 she had like an eight, it was an eight, she had this conversation with her eight-year-old. There's an understanding there that you can have these conversations. Yeah.
0: I mean, I remember, I remember I had this rule with I don't have kids. I had this rule with my sister's kids that like I wouldn't watch them until the youngest one was five. Because I don't do no I don't do non-verbal. I don't do I don't do kids, but I don't do like little kids. So once my nephew was five, I'm like, I'll stay with them. And now he's 15 and I like s- still the things that I put into plate, like the boundaries I set at that time, you're not allowed to say no to me was the number one boundary. And um, it still sticks to the point where my sister will even call me
1: and say, will you tell Simon X, Y, Z, because he knows that he can't say no to you. <laughs> It's it's amazing, you know, that you could that you could do that and that it that it that it can stick and that you're setting a new pattern. I think for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. it's going to be about setting. And this is the new the new pattern. It's going to be the new way of thinking.
0: It is. And it is. It's an entire reorientation, because especially for those of us who have been constantly looking outside of ourselves, living other referenced. You know, uh, codependent, we didn't even really get there, but looking at, you know, which is really expecting someone else outside of us to regulate us emotionally, Um, checking someone else's weather, so to speak, before we even know how we feel. You know, again, it's the walking on eggshells, all of that, that so many of us do. We almost just, we just think it's how people live.
1: And it's not. It's not, it's not how one has to live. I think that's the, that's the breaking point is that it doesn't need to be, it doesn't Mm -hmm. need to be this way. It doesn't need to be that way. And I think for people to take this first step, I mean, I know that we, we, we talked about like kind of these, these beginner, these beginner stages and Mm -hmm. just having that, that one statement that you're actually able to make and to read through the book and to go through the work Mm -hmm. sheets and, and to start it, it, as you mentioned, it is going to be baby steps. It's not going to magically just appear that you're like this liberated, you know, set free and, you know, you've got everything kind of coming to you the way you're looking to do it. But to have someone working with you along the way, you know, it's mm-hmm. one thing to be able to listen to this and hopefully we've inspired people or they're, or they're taking a look at their behavior and their patterns or how they are dealing mm-hmm. with people. How mm-hmm. do you have people then move forward? Because it seems, you know, with the amount of people that are gravitating to the book and to the workshops, mm-hmm. there's work to be done. And so how, yeah. are you, how are you kind of continuing to do that?
0: Well, I'm very glad you asked. I have a boundary coaching program that is opening. It's open right now. And if you go to nancylevin.com slash yes. So nancylevin.com slash yes. Everything is there to actually go through the work of boundary setting this whole process with me as your coach live on Zoom weekly, holding you accountable.
1: You will get results. I love that word accountable. I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot that comes into this. You can set out with some great intentions, but unless you're being held accountable to it, it's not going to happen. That's right. So it's the accountability factor. It is. Is is it like reporting back to say, I knew that I had to say this and it's almost like, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, each week, the process, the
0: boundary coaching process really is a deeper enhancement to what's in the book. And there's a whole, uh, you know, and it's live on zoom with me and there's a Facebook group, there's community. So it's like, we're not in this alone. We're in this with a lot of people who resonate with how scary this feels and how foreign this feels. And we are going through weekly processes where yes, then we're coming in to report back on, on the accountability piece of the commitments we make each week.
1: Yeah, the accountability following through. And then I would think a little discussing the response, what the reaction was from the other individuals.
0: Sure. And taking the attention off of that.
1: I guess so. Taking the attention off of what the end, because at the end of the day, it's making yourself whole. The book, once again, Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free, The Ultimate Guide to Telling the Truth, Creating Connection, and Finding Freedom with Nancy Levin. Uh, As I mentioned, and we'll have it in the show notes, but it'll be your opportunity to get in on this class, which is going to be starting, I think, kickstarting on March the 4th, I think you mentioned. March 4th. But registration is actually underway. So when you hear the podcast and you kind of have the book and you can look up uh, all this, there's so much information, great information, too, on your website as well. Uh, You can kind of set the intention be accountable and and start Mm -hmm. to be able to take some responsibility as to the life that it is that you want to leave and to feel completely whole by the time you are actually taking that last breath. Nancy, thank you so much for sharing uh, the journey and the story and hopefully inspiring others that this is uh, this is the way they need to go. And uh, we'll have all of the information as I mentioned in the show notes. I want to thank everyone for joining in for another episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. As always, please, if you can, Just share the content. Let people know it's out there. Let them know the discussions that we're having. And if you can subscribe and comment, that actually always helps other people find the podcast. Have a great day.
0: I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer.